tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of the galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to Brian Muir, an incredibly talented sculptor who worked for decades in the film industry, and especially on the original Star Wars, on Darth Vader, Stormtroopers, Death Star droids, and many more. But that is not all. Learn about his involvement in Raiders, Temple of Doom, James Bond, and many more projects in this fascinating conversation. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 130, Brian Muir. Before diving into your incredible career and work, I'd love to even just take it all the way to the beginning of those early inspirations, you growing up. What made you even want to become a sculptor, become a modeler? What were those first things that really drew you to that? Well, I mean, my real interest in art started in the senior school about the age of 13. I I suddenly discovered that I could draw and paint and spent as much time as I could painting and drawing. And at the age of 16, I didn't think that I could possibly get into a job doing art. It was my mother that said she knew someone down the youth employment office that I could go down and see. So she um, arranged an appointment and I went down there and she said, well, funny enough, at the moment, they want, she told me a model maker, which isn't what I did. She said that they've had 12 people go for the position at the moment and they've turned them all down. So I wouldn't hope too much to get the job. So anyway, it was about a week later, I went to Elstree Film Studios and took some paintings and bits and pieces down for the interview there. Um, met the old guy that I trained under and seemed to hit it off with him. And a week later, a letter arrived on the door, door step, uh, saying that they, they were giving me the apprenticeship. So I was lucky enough to be the only apprentice sculptor ever in the film industry. There was never one before or after. And so I had a very special uh, training, a one-to-one with the old guy there. And I went to art college as well and did life drawing, life modelling with proper models, live models there. So, yeah, I had a good training. But at the end of my apprenticeship, the British film industry was in an absolute mess. And they decided that um, on the day I come out my apprenticeship, I was made redundant. But, yeah, I had to leave. So I thought my career was over before I'd really started. Although I'd had four years and uh, a lot of experience, mainly working on small British films, but still sculpting, period work and figures and the like. Even going right back to when I was about four months into my apprenticeship at the age of 16, um, we went up to work on uh, MGM Film Studios to work on a film called Captain Nemo. And um, so, yeah, I had some big shells to do on that. And uh, there was a big figure spewing out gold that the guy I trained under did. And I worked on that with him. Yeah, I mean, I had a fair bit to do through my apprenticeship. And um, luckily, I was as lucky as getting the apprenticeship that as I came out and there was no work in the film industry, I got a job up in London with an old architectural firm that had been going for over 100 years. And I was their only sculptor. The old guy that from there had retired, he'd got up bad arthritis. And um, I took over and I uh, did prestigious work all around London. I'd, at the age of 20, I'd work unveiled by the Queen of England. Then two years later, I'd work unveiled by the Queen Mother. 
I did work for churches, the Houses of Parliament, wood carving, and also sort. So I really honed my talents in the three years that I was up there. And then I out of the blue, I had a phone call from the old guy. They were doing a film at Elstree. Would I like to go back to the film industry? They were doing a science fiction film by the name of Star Wars. And I jumped to the choice, choice chance of doing it. Liz Moore was working on the picture and she'd been doing C-3PO. And I started on the Stormtroopers. I was probably working on the Stormtroopers into the beginning of February before I got them all done. That was the chest and the abdomen, the back, the arms and legs. At the end of January, that Liz Moore left the picture to go out to be with her boyfriend. He was working on a film called uh, Bridge Too Far out in Holland. And she went out there to be with him. So I was left doing all the work. Um, there was no one else to muck in on it at all. So I had to do all the finishing work on C-3PO, the hands. I actually did one lunch hour. It was that, that was so late then that they didn't even have time to mould someone's hands or Tony Daniels' hands. And they sent him up to me one lunch hour. We put some gloves on him and I had to sculpt the hands on the back of his hands over a lunch hour and then slip the gloves off and um, tried to finish it off a bit. But they redid the hands on Empire Strikes Back, which isn't surprising considering I only had an, an hour to do both of them. You know, I had to hand it as such. So, yeah, I mean, having done that and C-3PO, John Barry, the designer, came to me and said, we've got a new character we'd like you to start. We, we want you to go down and see John Mollo in the uh, costume department. He was costume designer. Uh, he's got a drawing down there for you. So I went down, went in to see John. The character was Darth Vader. And he had a, a small drawing of the helmet and mask, about five inches high. No shading, just from one angle and not really much to go by at all. But they had actually moulded Dave Krause and reproduced him in plaster. So I had a plaster figure, full-size figure of Dave Krause to, to work on. So that everything I sculpted, I knew would fit back onto Dave Prowse, providing I did more than a casting thickness on the plaster. So I had to have at least three eighths of clay on the plaster to know that they could do the cast in fiberglass and it would still fit on Dave, which it all works out perfectly well. In fact, Dave um, often said that it was a bit big, but then you have to make it look. You're, you're going on top of a plaster, which is Dave Prowse's head, and you have to make it look like Darth Vader, so it's not going to be a glove fit onto his head as such to make it look right. I mean, a lot of people think that I did Vader to Ralph McQuarrie's concept helmet, but it wasn't that at all. I didn't work with Ralph McQuarrie's concept on the mask and the helmet, but I did on the armour. The chest armour, shoulder bells and the chins were done with uh, Ralph Macquarie's concept. The mask, I did a back and front initially. So you had the whole mask back and front and the back was discarded because Dave Prowse was so claustrophobic in it. Also, the chin vent was a last minute thing because Dave was finding it hard to breathe in, in the helmet. They realised that he'd need air in there, or be suffocated otherwise. So... But that was it. That was why the chin vent was put in. 
And then later it was made bigger on Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. They used the, the same helmet, but just a different paint finish. So, yeah, having done the uh, face mask that George Lucas came up and uh, he liked it, he only came up the once when it was finished, when John Barry and myself thought, well, you know, we've gone as far as we can go. We'll see what George thinks of it. And he liked it. So then they moulded that and cast it in plaster, gave it back to me, and then I did the helmet on top of that, knowing, again, that it would fit onto the, the cast. Um, the, the eventual fiberglass cast they would make from it. So that was done, and George again came up to see that and liked it. I was working up in the art department initially. There was Liz and I uh, working in there, and Tony Daniels had come up, or you know the characters were. Funny enough, Dave um, Prowse never did come come up, and I never met Dave Prowse on the film because I was so busy. I, I didn't go down on the set to, you know, see Dave down there and that. I just got on with the work and um, I never met him until later when eventually, I think it was about 2007, I started doing conventions. And the first convention I went to, Dave Prowse was there and he came over to see me. So we had a chat there and I got to know him and went to many, many conventions after that. And often I'd sit next to Dave Prowse, so they'd put the two of us together. And uh, yeah, I got to know him. Strangely enough, his wife and daughter, they uh, they had a, an auction with Dave Prowse's stuff and they came up with a couple of, um, they were fan-made uh, Vaders at Dave Prowse and they wanted to, to know the history of them and that which I didn't really know, but I could tell that they, they were definitely fan-made helmets and that was that. But going back to the film, once the uh, helmet mask was done, I put the, whereas I cut the um, the figure off at the shoulders, I fixed that back onto the, the main body and I went up to the plaster shop where they were doing all the plaster work to actually sculpt the chest armour and shoulder bells and that on the actual main figure that I that I had. And I had the lines of where the mask had been so I knew exactly where to go up to and know that it would fit on, you know, when they finished it all. Obviously, for me, it went on to the paint, painting section, special effects, they did their bit. Wardrobe got the um, the cloak done and various other bits. Dave Prowse had his own gloves from because he had a motorbike. His own boots and gloves he used on on the film. So it was uh, it was a very much a team effort of getting the whole thing together in, in the end. And we do have a site, the original Vader, and it's got it all on there, giving everyone credit that was involved in it in various ways. You were still working while it was filming, and another one of the things that you sculpted, I guess, too, are the Death Star droid and CZ-3, CZ-3 being one of my favorite droids because of that really stark design. But what were you using as basis for those designs, and how were you really bringing those to life, especially because they really kind of became characters in themselves? Well, CZ-3 was the one that I did after Vader, and I had a tiny drawing about inch and a half high, and I pinned it to where I was sculpting the helmet. I think I did it over to Tony Daniels' head where they mould and cast him because it was Tony Daniels that was in CZ3. So I did the helmet. The old guy I trained under, he came on the picture for two weeks and he did the chest piece 
And the rest of it was made up from old bits of C-3PO, one or two new bits were made up in aluminium. The time on everything was getting tight and money was running out. And it was only at the beginning of June that the film folded and they had a, the last day they were there, they were just filming everything they could possibly get done in a day. They say it was based on a, an original concept of Vader, but I was never told that at the time. It has been mentioned since. And the Death Star droid was the last piece of work that I did on the film, which, again, I had a tiny drawing to do that that I pinned it to. And it was, it was fun. It was one of the ones that I really enjoyed doing, the Death Star droid. It was, and it's one of my favourites now, characters, you know, in, in the Star Wars franchise. I think it's a really nice, well-balanced character. Character. That was really enjoyable. The other thing I did, and I went down on set to do it, old Arthur I trained under, he'd done a seat for the Millennium Falcon that was on a radius. He'd done um, a radius on one side and he'd squared the other. So he'd left the picture, I had to go down and put the radius on the other side so that they would match in one side against the other. Um, it was just a new a morning's work just to go down and sort it out and that was me done on on star wars really a enjoyable and it was a and the same pessimistic crew that thought well it's not really going to be a successful film when we were working on it we went up to london a year later to the crew showing and we all sort of sat down not really expecting too much and initially you get this huge spaceship comes over and everyone's aghast and there's a bit of applause and that through the whole film and this pessimistic crew stood up and gave it a, a round of applause. I think we all knew then that it was a great film and well the rest is history really. It's gone on to be a huge franchise, made many a hit film. Part of the, the legacy is obviously these characters that have really lasted the test of time, including the Death Star droid and all these additional things have really permeated the legacy of Star Wars. I would love to move away from Star Wars briefly and move into the incredible work that you were still doing at Elstree and in the British film industry after Star Wars. And you, of course, have Alien. I'd love to maybe hone in on Alien a little bit because some of that crew from Star Wars moved to Alien and obviously is another iconic franchise. What work were you doing there and how was that really kind of solidifying your role in the film industry? Well, on Alien, there was a guy called Peter Voisey and me did the space jockey. You do see pictures with Giga working on it, but he didn't really work on it for long. He posed for pictures next to it. Yeah, I mean, Giga did an hour or two on it, but no, it was Peter Voisey and myself that actually did it. We spent about a month on it. It was a mixture. It was some done in clay and moulding, done in fibreglass, a lot done in polystyrene. We applied a few sections of foam on it and it was all applied to a wood background. So it was a, a mixture of materials and ways of working on the, on the job. Some was carved, some was, some was modelled in clay. So that was one of them, the entrances to the spaceship. The same set that the space jockey in, there's a radius bone section, bones that go right around the set. Well, I did the original section in clay on a radius section. Then that was moulded and they had hundreds of casts that they fixed on a radius going up and around the set. All that bone stuff was mine and then there was individual pieces coming down them, ribs that came down with it. Interesting work on that I, I did, individual bits carved in polystyrene. Peter and I were up on H stage waiting for Giga to come up. We were going to start on the entrance to the spaceship. We had two 
thing to do, and the third one was done CGI. But uh, Giga come onto the stage with our reference, and they were top shelf pornographic magazines with a very detailed, you know what. <laughs> We talked over it, and when Giga left the stage, I mean, Peter and I looked at one another, and we laughed and said, there's no way we can do that. So what you see as the entrances are very stylized versions of, of what he was showing us. But, yeah, and then all the on that uh, same set where the spaceship was, there's all these amazing bone sections, plaster spread over the uh, the plane, larger sections, then I carved in polystyrene all the detailed bits that made it interesting. I spent three or four weeks doing that, carving bones up, and it, it was a nice film to work on and used to go down to the King's Head for lunch occasionally with Giga, Peter, and a few people from the art department would go down there. And uh, he was an interesting character. He was always dressed in black with his girlfriend, Mia. They were always taking pictures of everything because he got to keep all his original art. He made a fantastic deal. I used to fly backwards and forwards to um, Switzerland, first class, and uh, got to keep all his original art. And I think he went on tour with the um, space jockey uh, after the film. It, it got actually burnt down at, uh, I think it was a cinema out in America. There are different stories about how it got burned. Funny enough, we was watching um, a film on uh, Giga and his work and his museum out in Switzerland yesterday. But he certainly was a character. That's an understatement, for sure. Another of the films that were really being done at that time that have that staying power are the indie films, Indiana Jones, and both with Raiders and with Temple of Doom, I would love to maybe focus in on a few of the things that you did. Raiders, especially the bottom of the Ark of the Covenant, the snakes as well, like in Temple of Doom. How did you get involved back with the Lucasfilm Productions, and what were your experiences working on, on the Indiana Jones movies? Well, the Raiders, it wasn't so much work I did on it. I did the Cobra that was in front of Harrison Ford. The first shot where they, they shoot from the back of his head, they have a glass screen up and there's a real Cobra there. Then when they shoot back, they can't use a glass screen and they can't have a live Cobra in front of the main star. So I sculpted the Cobra that you see when you look back at his terrified face. I did some uh, quite a few... Egyptian panels that were part of that set as well. The big Anubis figure was three of them. That was done by a, a friend of mine, so I didn't do that. But yeah, I did the panels. And then, of course, there was the Ark of the Covenant, which two of us did that. A guy called Keith Short and myself did the, all the detailing on, the, on that, which was applied. The actual art was made in wood. Then all the detailing was added afterwards, which we sculpted on the wood, and then it was moulded and cast and picked back on in, in like a resin. The one that I really enjoyed was Temple of Doom. I had so much fun on that. We were actually working in the Star Wars prop room at Elstree Film Studios. Obviously, uh, Lucas came in and Spielberg popped in for a chat as well at one time. We were in, as I say, this Star Wars prop room and Jabba the Hutt was sitting there. There, um, there was Stormtrooper outfits in boxes. And at the time, I was extremely naive. I had no idea that um, the props sold for incredible prices. And during, uh, there was a few times that people would come in and be rifling in the boxes. And I thought nothing of it, but I realised now all these years later, that there was a few of those that disappeared, I'm sure, at the time. I don't think many, but a few, one or two went. One of the ones that was 
quite interesting was the opening sequence with the gong where they pan back from the gong you see the paramount mountains then the dragon and the, the gong rolls away and there's fire, guns firing and all hell breaks loose in the obi-wan nightclub well i did the gong i'd spent two weeks doing a beautiful dragon that went right around the outside of the gong with the paramount mountains in the middle and I'd finished it, and I, I was quite pleased with the job. And um, then the art department came down and said, oh, we're sorry, we've got the um, the scale wrong for the mountains. So what you see on screen, I had two days to do. That was one of the jobs I did. The snake, the 15-foot python was one I did. She was terrified of snakes, wouldn't have a snake near her. So I'd, I had to sculpt the 15-foot python. A lady painted them and did a really nice job of painting them. Uh, Bao Charlton, her name was. And then you see it come down from the tree and it goes onto her shoulder. She grabs it by the head and yanks it off, off the tree. And if you stop film you'll see that snake just just laying there lifeless but it's only for a fraction of a second that you see it that looks quite like life like and we got away with that one the same scene they're sitting around a fire and there was baby elephants there and obviously you can't get a baby elephant to do exactly what you want when the camera rolls so i sculpted a baby elephant's head and they used that for close-up when you know the trunk was around the actors originally they, the storyline was that they were in a tent and she was in a tent and she feels this thing feeling round her back and that she thinks it's Indy getting through um, and Janet Jones getting fruity with her but it's the baby elephant said but that was that idea was put by the board and the, you saw what you saw where they were sitting around the fire other jobs were in the palace at the banquet there was musicians and there were dancers and there was a horse at the back of them and I carved two of them handed one facing in towards the arch and one the other way they were painted to look like sandstone but I carved them in polystyrene. The main set where you had the huge figure lowering the um, sacrifices into the pit of fire. I did a few of the arms on that. I was a bit of a loose end one day so I helped out and carved a couple of arms. And then there's a panel where Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford puts his whip around an elephant's head and swings to the lower level where the, the ledge is broken away. Well, I carved that elephant's head, which is about 10 foot high. And then when he gets down to the bottom, there you can see a panel there and you only see it for a few seconds. We've had to stop the film and enhance the photograph to really get a, a decent picture of it. The panel I've done there is a Carly figure with 16 arms and it's three foot deep. And I had to build it up, all the arms on different levels using six inch layers. And uh, that's the way I did it with the figure. So I've cut the figure on every single one, but the arms at different layers. And it, it was very effective. It, it looked good and it was all painted and coated to look like stone, but you only see it for a few seconds. The other one that might be of interest that I did was the heart, the sacrifice. They pull out this uh, heart that's pulled out. Owen Ram holds the heart in his hand that's still beating. I sculpted that heart. And the production um, office asked me to go to Harefield Heart Hospital to see a heart surgeon to talk uh, with him. Went over to the hospital and got sat down with the heart surgeon. And I asked him, what's the closest heart I can get to the human? He said, uh, well, primate, which I couldn't really get a monkey's heart. It weren't feasible. So I said, what's the closest I could get? To get? And we eventually settled for a sheep's heart. So they got me a live, live, uh, you know, a, a sheep's heart uh, from the butchers, and I had a proper plastic model 
that surgeons used up in the hospitals, um, a model of where the veins come off of the heart and all that. Then I used the sheep's heart to get detail in right with the fatty tissues and all that. So I sculpted like that, and then they, the special effects did a double um, action pump, which gives you the boom, 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 boom of the heart. And there was lots of other work I did on the film. I mean, in that same set, there was um, a flow of lava that was carved with all different names on it. And I don't know if you saw it even in the film, but uh, me and another guy, um, we, there were so many names and we kept, a crew would come up and say, just, will you carve my name on that? So we'd carve their name upside down or, or back to front or whatever, so it wouldn't be too obvious. We were on that for about three or four days, carving names. It gets a bit bit tedious when you're just carving you know scripts and that there was a made-up script so we had a bit of fun doing that with it you've done so much on so many different franchises and i feel like we could be here for hours and we're not going to make you be here for hours to talk about all of them and maybe let's go into the james bond series a little bit you worked on so many of those and really spanned so many years of your career how did that production evolve and change and how did your involvement evolve and change over all those films well, with the Bond films, I worked on 10 Bond films in all. And the first Bond film I worked on was in 1976. It was only a few months after I'd finished on Star Wars. And after Star Wars, I went on a film called The Eagles Landed. I was on that for three weeks, working up at a place called Maple Dum Durham. And I was working in a big marquee there and um, sculpted some figures and that for that. And then I went straight from there out to Budapest to work on a film called Prince and the Pauper. Was there for six weeks and had had a nice time out there. In fact, I'm going back out there in about four weeks' time to Budapest to, uh, to a convention there. When I come back from there, I went on the first Bond film uh, I worked on, and a guy called Ken Adams was the designer, and Peter Lamont, who later became designer on a lot of the other ones I did, was art director on it. And I did this shark, the tiger shark that Bond wrestle, Jaws wrestles with in the shark tank because uh, Bond lifts him up with a great big um, a magnet with his metal teeth and drops him in the shark. Again, you can't have the one of the main actors in with the real sharks. So I had an eight tiger shark to do and I did all the individual layers of teeth because you have three layers of teeth for a shark. And as one falls out, another one pops up within a, you know, a few days to replace it. So I did, uh, did that as well. They molded what I did and then they cast it in a type of rubber did a fantastic paint job on it. And uh, you see that same shark, they have it swimming up to an actress that goes in there and she gets eaten by the sharks. But again, you can't have an actress eaten by a shark. So that same shark that I did swims up towards her. But there were so many Bond films that I did. And uh, Octopussy was a nice one to work on where we had all that really ornate work to do for the... Um, at the Indian Palace, all Indian work. One funny bit was where James Bond slides down the banister. There's big sweeping uh, banister and stairway. And at the bottom, there's an ornate pineapple. Well, Bond sees that he's going to actually do himself some damage. So he had a machine gun with him and he, he fired at this pineapple down the bottom, destroyed it as such with these bullets and just slid off the end and, and run off down through the palace. There were things like, things like the octopusy bed. There was a few of us worked on that. All night work above the octopusy bed 
all done in pink and gold. I did all that. Oh, I'm going on uh, die another day. All the ice palace, all that stuff um, in there. I did all the surface ice, the ice jet. I did that. The ice bed for the swan. I did that. In fact, they they had me go up and do uh, meet this guy in London that does adverts and that, and he he carves things in ice. And they thought it'd be a good idea if they got a great big truck at Pinewood and I'd carve stuff in ice. They didn't think that you get onto a film set and you get all the lights and it's really, really hot. And anything I did in ice would be water within an hour or so. So it wasn't feasible for me to do it. You just couldn't have done it and done it fast enough and for it to have lasted long enough. So, And I didn't want to work in minus 32 for long anyways. I put them off that idea and said it wasn't feasible. So the bed, I the swan bed, I sculpted that in polystyrene carved it all they molded that and they cast it in clear resin so it looks like ice for the film yeah i mean it's obviously clear resin that that was used and funny enough i'd finished on that film and me and my wife we'd gone down to devon in the west country for a bit and i was fishing right up in the middle of nowhere on this and there was a phone call and she came down to where i was fishing she said oh they just called you from pinewood so they wanted me to go back and there was a car in the ice palace that comes off this ramp it goes flying through the air knocks um some of the um bar area away and goes down through the ice they got me 30 foot long blocks of polystyrene in and i carved them to fit this area that they've got on top of the tank so what i did would sit right into it and then i carved underneath um from two foot thick one end to the center where it was six inches thick so this car went sailing in and it slowly sank through and they thought i might have to do a second one for a second shot but it worked perfectly the first time round. so that was quite a funny job to come back and do and uh, along with all the other work i did on that i mean there was another thing i did that was i didn't actually sign on the movie but I I did a job where they were shooting above the Atlas Mountains and they had a cargo net come out the back of the mountain out of the plane I mean Bomb was fighting with the baddie on this cargo net and the boxes that are drugs or whatever it was that was in the cargo net was slowly falling out well as it was getting lighter what happened was that the net swung around hit the side of the plane the stuntman had to jump off to save his life. They couldn't get, get him back up there and redo it. So what I did, I carved a 33-foot um, foot by 40-odd-foot model of the Atlas Mountains at Pinewood Studios, and they were about, the tallest one was about three foot high. And I, I did it all within 11 days. And I carved it with a chainsaw. And you just had polystyrene flying everywhere that I was carving. And I carved all little streams coming in and down. And we dressed it uh, and put little pebbles down to represent rocks. And they did the shot. They had wind machines to represent present you know get so the actors had wind flying through going through their hair and uh, peter lamont who was designer on that took me up to see the rushes the following day 
and it married in perfectly with the shots they got above uh, from planes above uh, at this mountain. So I got away with that one quite well. They were both. I mean, the last one I worked on, where I just went on to do one film, was Skyfall. I went on there and I did a Chinese lion, and they did six of them for the Chinese casino set where the Komodo dragon was. You see these Chinese lions that are painted to look like bronze. So that's what I just went on and I did that in three weeks, I think it was. The HOD on that one uh, wanted to ask for four weeks, and they said, No, only th- you've only got three weeks on it. So he called me because he knew I. I could work very quickly. And, um, yeah, so I got it done in the time allotted. You know, I had to really move myself with it. It wasn't easy to get done in that time. It was a quite big job. That was the last one I worked on. Incredible. And your work on all of them is incredible. I wonder if there's any from L Street Design and Construction that stand out to you specifically, maybe one of your favorite designs or sculptures from that time. Well, I did a variety of work when I had that because it was my own company and I was working out workshop eight at L Street. I did some that was film work and some that were outside. I did a job for Kensington Palace Gardens that um, was really ornate work and got paid very well on that one. So I was very happy I paid my mortgage off. Uh, another job for Waterloo train station up in London. It was for an, a Zurich uh, insurance company and it was a St. Bernard dog, which was their logo it was bursting through a hoarding and so I had to carve this dog and I did a bit of the back at the back of it so it looked as though the hoarding would all been broken away which it obviously wasn't but I'd carved it to look like it was and that was and all painted and we had to fix it up at the station and take it back down which you do and you you're responsible for the whole project and even getting a lorry to take it up there and all that sort of thing and jobs like I did for Sea Life up in Scotland, where it was a square tunnel they had. And I had a very little area to make it look like it was a cave going right the way down. Well, I did that in um, sections and did that all the way down and went up to Scotland. We could only do it at the night time because it was open in the day to the public and had to clear away every night and then paint it all. And there was that. But then there was also the film work. There was Cleopatra that was television film that I did. I did these uh, sphinxes that were done in polystyrene and they shipped them out to Morocco, um, all to look like sandstone, which um, was a nice one to do. They were they were quite big. They were 18 foot long quite a lumpy, lumpy pieces to, to do. Um, so, yeah, it was all that sort of things to do, but I wasn't really doing much in the way of big films over that two-year period. And at the end of that, it was getting a little bit difficult. So in the end, I started signing on films again. I closed down Elstra Design and Construction. And then, I i mean, in the last years of working, which I've been retired for five years now, I was working on things like Guardians of the Galaxy, Thor 2, Disney films like Snow White and the Huntsman. One of the last ones I did. And I actually did finish which brought me full circle in a way from going back into Elstree on Star Wars. I finished my last film before retiring was Rogue One, which I'm not allowed to talk about. So the, the False Awakens, which was the, you know, the first film back for Star Wars. Again, I'm, I'm not allowed to really talk about any of that because of the contracts assigned for Disney. Yeah, I mean, I'm fine talking about the original one. I can talk about all of that. That's fine. It's, it's uh, a 48-year 
career and I've done so much work in so many films. It's around about 70 films that I've worked on, from the first films at Elstree, the, the um, horror films that I did for you know, Frankenstein and little films like The Boyfriend that Twiggy was in, Railway Children, the one that I did up at MGM. I, I've had a, a great career and I'm having fun, wonderful, well, met my wife and I, we go all over the world now. We've been to China Japan and all over America, Canada and Mexico. We're having a great time, you know, meeting fans and I do a lot of talk. I've even been to university, quite a few universities now doing talks for students and that, which is good fun. They really appreciate, you know, the work that you've done over the years. To kind of close this all out, uh, direct listeners to your website and also to the books that you've written. Talk about those just a little bit and how people can see them and read them from the, for themselves. Well, we decided, my wife helped me with them, to do the autobiography and started with In the Shadow of Ada. The idea being that although I've done so much work in my career, that Veda almost defines me. It's so iconic and known worldwide that all my other work is in the shadow of Vader, although individual pieces are well known, like the space jockey and a lot of the other work I've done, people would know the work, wouldn't necessarily know that I did them. So, yeah, the idea was that. And then the second section of the autobiography was Beyond the Shadow. And it's like saying, since I've become better known for the work that I've done that my work is now beyond the shadow of Vader and that was the idea of that so it it has a lot the later work that I did in it and then we last year the year before now wrote a book um, Stormtrooper the true story which Lindsay and I both did about the court case I got involved with against Sandra Ainsworth who said that he did the original Stormtrooper armour when all he did was pull the vacuum form plastic over the moulds that were provided to him from Lucasfilm and Star Wars, which they got back at the end of the film. The positive side of how it was all done and some pieces, so that's quite a nice book. We've had really good feedback back on it, and it's got a lovely cover on it. <laughs> this was the first book, really, where you can get it. It's primeyourvadersculptor.com, I believe, and that will take you to the website, and you can get onto the eShop and you can buy the books from there. There's also signed photographs that I do, large ones and A4 and 8 by 10 and plaques I do as well now. So, yeah, you can get on onto the website and eShop and you can browse and have a look and people can get whatever they want. Thank you for your time and for all of your work. And it really is an honor and a privilege to get to talk to you for a little bit. Uh, it's been good talking with you. so much again to Mr. Muir for his incredibly generous time and stories. For information, photos, autographs, and to order his books, head to brianmuirvadersculptor.com. That is all for this week. We have so many more interviews in the works, and I cannot wait for you all to hear them. In the meantime, if right now you can leave a five-star rating and review for the show, it means a lot and really helps me out. So until next time, stay tuned, leave that five-star review, and may the Force be with you.